What's up, everybody? Welcome to Security Squawk Podcast, the business of cybersecurity. I have with me today Randy Bryan from Tech Rescue down in uh, South Texas. How are you today, sir? Pretty good, Brian. How are you doing, man? Hey, not bad, all things considered, I guess, right? Yep. We have a lot to talk about today, folks. Uh, I guess, why don't I just play the video? Right, and then we'll and then we'll jump yeah. into the discussion. Let's uh, let me uh, let me share my screen here, and uh, we'll get right into it. So I said this on this is my YouTube channel, right? We got that up. Is that look, does that look right? Looks like it. Looks like it's an infinite window inside a window. Yeah, I don't know why that is. I I don't know what I'm. Don't fork bomb here. your machine or the. Uh, <laughs> StreamYard server, please. <laughs> I know, right? What am I doing wrong? I and technology. Uh, we should just do the entire screen, right? Not just the window. Um, yeah, that's the one we want right there. There we go. All right. So I I played this uh, video. Uh, I'm going to play this video. Something I said on Friday before the the news dropped. Um, of foreshadowing probably what would happen over the 4th of July weekend. Uh, and here's what I said. Here it is, is that we're going to see some big ransomware attacks over the holiday weekend. That's usually when these things are deployed. There were a ton of ransomware attacks over the Memorial Day weekend and leading up to the Memorial Day weekend. So I wouldn't be surprised that we see a major return of ransomware attacks over this weekend and in the next coming weeks as hackers set their sights on trying to get into the networks of companies that they know where people aren't there. So it's not just deploying ransomware, but these advanced persistent threat groups also getting access to networks and then taking control of them, getting in there so they can then contact the ransomware people and get the ransomware deployed maybe in a week or two. Uh, so I would say from tomorrow, today, on from tonight after we leave work to probably the next two weeks, the middle of July, I wouldn't be surprised if there's an uptick in, in publicly released ransomware attacks or large ransomware attacks. Um, we are going to definitely hear an uptick of one of private ones that people never hear about. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, in a day or two or, or Monday or Tuesday, we're hearing of major ransomware attacks uh, in, in the United States. Hmm. <laughs> I think I was right. Yeah, I mean it's um pretty much kind of a joke, uh, you know, so in the cybersecurity world that most I mean it's it's a truth and it's the butt of a joke that attacks almost always start Friday at five when everybody's gone and they're not looking at their computers. And you really call this one in light of the current situation, in light of the almost invitation. Um, I know that's kind of controversial for me to say that, but it's almost in, almost an invitation from the president. Um, and, you know, just in light of all that, you called it, man. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily like being right in this situation, but I study I study these these criminal hackers, both, you know, I tend to study the Russians and the Chinese more than anybody out there. I, uh, I do go on the dark web. I do research what the heck's being said out there. Um, and it, it just, I've seen it enough. I've seen the pattern where, where you don't see a lot of activity. They, 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 you know, they're, they're gearing up 
you know, so to speak, for an attack. And, you know, I said probably I think one of the words I used on my YouTube channel were we're probably going to see something, you know, this, you know, when we when we close up shop or, you know, and Mm -hmm. literally it was a half hour after I posted the damn video and it it was six hours earlier than I actually thought. Um, And I can only attribute that to the fact that uh, these Russian hackers probably knew that the U.S. cuts out early on like that holiday, that particular holiday weekend. Long weekend, national holiday. I mean, our armed forces cut back um, on, you know, on duty um, for July 4th. So, I mean, that's that's kind of common knowledge. So, yeah. So, I mean, it was an opportune time. Um, not, you know, for them, obviously no goods, a good, no time's a good time for the receiving end of something like that. No. So for those who really don't know what we could be talking about right now, why don't you break it down for them at a high level of what we're talking about and what happened? Uh, so, I mean, so basically Friday around noon or in the early afternoon, Kaseya sent out a warning where Kaseya got word, according to them, um, they got word that some of their servers were getting ransomware and it was starting to multiply. And so within, I think within about an hour, they shut down all of their SaaS servers, which those are the servers that they maintain, software as a service, SaaS servers. And then they also sent out a notice um, across the world, basically, if you have a VSA on-prem server, to shut it down, that there's an attack um, afoot. Um, and basically, um, we don't know all the details. Uh, we'll talk about some of them today, I know. But but basically, it seems like they were in the VSA servers, which manage other computers, and basically sent out commands to disable Windows Defender and, and then also sent out the command to download and run um, a malware uh, package, a ransomware package, if you will. Um, and all that went down, you know, pretty much in a matter of minutes. So I think within about an hour was from when they discovered it um, to when they were shutting down their servers and, and going by their playbook, um, according to the CEO in his video that he put out. Yeah, that's pretty, that's, you know, that's pretty spot on. And you described it well. I don't think I have too much to add to that other than the fact that the the result of that, that, um, incident response that they have to shut everything down. So um, there's, I guess they offer their product in two different offerings, right? You can host it yourself on your own servers or in your own cloud, or you can have them host it for you. And they made the decision to tell everybody to, to shut everything down as quickly as possible, um, taking their hosted customers offline kind of without their doing. It just happened. And then, you know, hoping that enough of their their on-prem or the people that host it themselves get the word quick enough where they shut it down themselves. I think they said there was one case where somebody left it on and, and they got hit after the fact. Um, but the result of that was is that these IT companies now, they are, I don't want to say characterize it as they can't support their clients, but this is pretty important software when it comes to you know, us delivering our services and to um, to not be able to use that software really hampers the operations. I don't know if it brings it to a screeching halt. I think for some companies it has. 
Um, but it but it prevents all these IT companies. Yes, only 50 or so clients of Kaseya got hit with ransomware, but all of their customers cannot use the software that they purchased from them. Right. There's um, I've actually read reports since he's spoken that it was closer to a thousand. So I don't know. I can't verify that. I think there's an article that um, we may be discussing in a little bit that it's a little more than 50. Um, but re reality is, like you said, they, they cut it short by having a playbook and by telling ev everybody to shut down, to shut down their servers. But you're right. I mean, this software is what IT companies use some IT companies use to keep uh, patches applied, which, you know, that's that's an attack vector is unapplied patches. So they, they keep Windows patches, third party patches, you know, monitoring when memory usage is high, disk drives are failing, disk usage is high, you know, like basic bread and butter managed IT stuff is almost exclusively done through, you know, through an RMM like this. So, yeah, basically the IT companies that are experiencing this right now are probably feeling kind of blind, you know, feeling like a big part of their insight is is cut out because they're not able to see what is going on in their customers' computers, which, frankly, is pretty scary. Yeah. So, you know, for our audience out there that's not, you know, in, in the technical world, um, just understand that. This is a great example to show you that any piece of software can be compromised, right? And and you, if your IT vendor or the company that you uh, outsource your IT to, uh, IT to, or maybe you use some kind of software like this, and it and you don't use Kaseya, um, don't take any kind of solace in the fact that you didn't have this problem because it could have been your software or it could be your software tomorrow or next week or next month or six months down the road. Um, so the important thing here is, is please make sure that you're preparing for a ransomware attack um, because you can put as many defenses as you, as you possibly can put, you could spend all the money in the world on cybersecurity and that risk is never going to be 0%. There's always yep. going to be a level of risk because of supply chain and things like that, where <clears throat> risk it is can only be reduced so much. Um, you know, there's certain things that are not in your control, and you have to accept that as part of your business and prepare for the fact that you may be attacked or you may have a cyber attack or you may have to deal with ransomware one day. That is the mindset that every business person, every business owner should have. And nobody should be looking at this like, I'm protected. My guys got me covered. We don't use that software, so we're good. That's the wrong way to look at this. And, I, and I, before we get into the discussions of kind of what happened and shine a spotlight on Kaseya, I just want to be clear and upfront with our audience that nobody's immune from this stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's like if you live along the Gulf Coast. If you live along the Gulf Coast, you are going to get hit by a hurricane at some point and you can build a house that has a foundation that can withstand it. You can take all kinds of security measures and you should, if you live there. Um, but the bottom line is it's not a matter. If you live in Galveston, you know, I, I grew up around Houston. If you live in Galveston, Galveston, Texas, gets hit by hurricanes. If you live in that area, you've got to be prepared. 
you're going to get hit by a hurricane. And that's the way we have to start looking at this. We have to start looking at it like we're all in her in a hurricane zone and we're going to get hit with it eventually. And it can either be devastating to your business and your business never comes back or it's the death blow to your business and it dies a slow death over six months, um, which over double digits go out of business within six months. Or it can be something that happens. You're, you're hunkered down, if you will, and it blows through. And yeah, it does a little bit of damage. But man, you did what you needed to do to be prepared for it. And you bounce back right after it and you get back to, to work. That's really how we have to approach this. All right, so let's jump into sharing some content with our friends and jump into some articles. I really like this article from uh, one of the, the good guys on the security team, uh, Brian Krebs. He runs uh, a really good website called Krebs on Security. No relation to Chris Krebs. Uh, a lot of people think they're related, but they are not. Um let me fire this up right here and let's dive into this article a little bit um, because he he's he's kind of opening a, a, a can of worms here that, you know, I, I don't you know, I don't know what to think of it. I guess I'll kind of formulate an opinion here as I as I go through this. But um, so the fifteen hundred organizations he's referring to are the fifteen hundred clients of the 50 MSPs. Right. So, um, you know, you do the math. You're talking about an average of three hundred you know, clients per MSP, right? So if we're talking about 300, 300 clients for a, a single MSP, just based on what I know about our market and who I'm friends with, 300 clients, that's a pretty big MSP, mm -hmm. right? So these weren't little MSPs that were targeted. Um, maybe there were some small ones mixed in there, uh, but you're talking about 300 accounts or 300 clients per, right. and then, you, you probably have on average somewhere between 50 and 100 endpoints or employees within these 1500 organizations. It could be more, you know, we don't, we just don't know. Um, so uh, cyber criminals deployed ransomware uh, that provide IT security and technical support to many other companies and attackers exploited a vulnerability in the software from Kaseya and it now appears Kaseya's customer service portal was left vulnerable until last week to a data leaking security flaw that was first identified in the same software six years ago. So on July 3rd, the Rebel Ransomware Affiliate Program began using a zero-day security hole to deploy ransomware to hundreds of IT management companies running Kaseya's remote management software known as the, as the Kaseya Virtual System Administrator or VSA. Um, and according to this entry, the security flaw that powers Kaseya VSA zero day was a sign of vulnerability number on April 2nd, 2021, indicate, indicating Kaseya had roughly three months to address the bug before it was exploited in the wild. So let's just kind of pause right there and give people some education around, you know, what this means. Um, the entry for 2021 is April 2nd, not July 2nd, right? So they're basically saying, and, and I think you mentioned it in the green room, room that this was a Dutch company that told Kaseya about this issue, 
Am I am I wrong on that or am I right? I did mention that in the green room. I think they're called CERT, and they 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 can't give away too many details right now because we still have vulnerabilities that aren't patched. But they are saying that they've been in contact. There you go. Yeah, it's this. Are, it's yeah, DV, DIVD. Yeah, they they are saying that they have been in contact with Kaseya since I think even before April second. Like, like maybe even starting in March. And, and so. this is this is something that I, I just want to put out there and let people know that. And I may have mentioned this before. Um, I talk about it a lot. I'm friends with a lot of security researchers, a lot of guys that are really, really good. And quite frankly, you don't want them to become criminal hackers, in my opinion. They're that good. Um, and they butt heads and they deal with quite frankly, assholes all the time in our industry who think they know better than them or they think that their product is so freaking awesome that it could never have these exploits or these exploits would only occur under very, very uh, specific circumstances that are, you know, really hard to replicate. And when you talk to these guys who, who figure these things out, they're like, no, it's not that hard to replicate. If I can do it, anyone else can do it. Right. And like a guy like me, who's kind of in the middle, I, I dabble in, you know, the, the kind of stuff that I'm talking about with what these security researchers do. And I also watch what's going on on the dark web. And it's literally a race to who can get to this stuff first. Right. And a lot of times the good guys get to this stuff first and then you have stuff like this where it just goes ignored for months. And when is that going to become criminal? When is it when a good guy, a security researcher, does the right thing, properly discloses a vulnerability to the companies the right way, doesn't put it on his blog, doesn't go out and, 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 and boast about it on forums and, and social, doesn't go to a DEF CON or Black Hat and release this stuff. They go to the company and they say, hey, you have a problem. And then they're met with, hey, we don't believe you. How much longer do they, do they think that we're going to have guys on the, on the good side of this continue to do this? I mean, it literally happens all the time. I know. I, I, I read about it constantly in um, the smart smartphone world of vulnerabilities that are, you know, made, made, made known to the larger companies. And sometimes they just sit on them and don't do anything about it. Um, you're right. I mean, there's going to have to be, there's going to have to be something. Um, you know, I read on their website, basically, if they found a vulnerability in a car that if you kick the bumper, the door would open and the engine would start, you know, do they, do they just put it out as a news flash? Do does the does the manufacturer set you know make it aware so people can bring it in, or do they just quietly ask people to bring it in? I mean, this this is basically what happened with Kaseya. They figured out a way. If you kick the bumper, the door opens and the keys turn on, and you can do whatever you want with that thing. And they made Kaseya aware, supposedly or allegedly. You know, they made Kaseya aware and. You know, and then this other vulnerability that goes back to 2015, a couple paragraphs down. Yeah, we'll jump into that in a second. But I, you know, the reality of it is, is you you hit the nail on the head. CISA needs to step in and be to what 
in the transportation industry has the NTSB. Mm-hmm. And when there's an issue with a vehicle, they have to report it to the NTSB. There's a mechanism for releasing that information and they issue a recall and you either have to take it into the dealer or whatever it is that you have to do to get the issue fixed. And usually the manufacturer has to pay for the fix as well. There needs to be some mechanism like that. And if the government wants to help out with cybersecurity, that's one thing that I think that they could do very easily. Take the blueprint from the NTSB, give it to CISA, and every anybody who finds something, send it to CISA. Instead of needing to go to the company and convince them that their stuff is broken and has a problem, just give it to CISA, and then the feds can put pressure on companies like Kaseya who want to drag their feet and not do something for three months to fix a problem. I mean, I don't, that, I think that's a great idea. I know it's my own idea, but why not? Why aren't we doing that? They need to right? do something. I mean, the government has all these ideas on the table. This is a simple idea. So if you're anyone's listening out there who, who works in the federal government, this is like something you could probably do very easily. Just get something stood up where, a security researcher can go to somewhere in CISA, report something, CISA looks into it with the security researcher, and then the government puts pressure on the company to do something. I think more would get done in a quicker amount of time. Yeah, come up with a cool name, cool name for it, like voluntary <laughs> risk and vulnerability. <laughs> Something, something. Who cares? Just <laughs> fix these damn problems that I have to deal with all the time. So anyway, go into what you alluded to. July 3rd, Mandiant comes in, uh, you know, FireEye Mandiant, uh, the uh, flavor of the year um, when you have a <laughs> cybersecurity issue. Um, Notify say that their billing and custom support site, portal.caseya.net, was vulnerable to CVE 2015-2862. Now, you see that 2015 number in there, folks? That means that this vulnerability was discovered in 2015. So this is a six-year-old vulnerability that they decided we're just not going to fix this. Or maybe they never even ran a vulnerability scan against their portal to determine if they had this. But as a as a company of Castaeus stature, I would think that they would have done this. Um you know, they shouldn't need a company like Mandiant to come in and tell them that they have this existing vulnerability on their server. This is like, I don't know, cybersecurity 201. I won't say it's 101, but it's at least 201. The disturbing thing is this vulnerability allows the remote user with just a web browser, not being logged in or anything right. like that, to basically go through the files on the server. And hopefully they kept the files, all their, um, you know, confidential information of clients, customers, IT firms, all that. Hopefully they kept that on a separate server. Um, but we don't we don't know. It might have just been kept on this server, you know, which means that the criminals could have just gone through the it literally says any directory and pulled out whatever they want. And I guarantee you, if they could, they are and have and they're going to start using it against people, whatever they can find. So it goes on to say that uh, Alex Holden, uh, who owns a Milwaukee-based cyber intelligence firm, uh, he said uh, he notified uh, Kaseya 
Armandian notified Kaseya after hearing about it from Alex Holden. And he said that he was able to use the vulnerability to download the web uh, web.config file, um, you know, which could could or may not contain sensitive information. We don't know, but it can. Um, it usually it usually tells the, the web uh, application where the location of the database is and things like that. And, you know, if, you know, kind of security 101. You don't want to be giving away too much information when you're when you're deploying these things, especially if you're running web servers and things like that. You want to make sure that you're not giving away too much. Where, um, you know, a hacker could take pieces from different areas of your environment and, and piece together, you know, an attack. So uh, it goes on to say it's not like they forgot to patch something that Microsoft fixed years ago. It's a patch for their own software, and it's not a zero day. It's from 2015. Um, the official description of CVE 2015-2862 says a would-be attacker would need to be already authenticated to the server for the exploit to work. But Holden said that that was not the case with the vulnerability on the Kaseya portal that he reported via Mandiant. Uh, this is worse because the CVE calls for an unauthenticated user, and this was not. I think or an authenticated user and, and Holden said yeah, not. The original vulnerability said right. that an authenticated user could do that. And he's he's discovered that you don't have to be authenticated. You can just browse at will from a web browser. And then he goes on to say that um, they took the portal offline in response to the vulnerability report and that the portal had been retired in 2018 in favor of a more modern customer support and ticketing system, yet somehow the old site was still left available online. Jesus Christ. I mean, come on, guys. Like, seriously, this is like why, like Colonial Pipeline, leaving VPNs just out there, legacy VPNs. We're just going to leave this out here, over here, not deal with it, not update it. That's the, absolutely the worst thing you can do, folks. If you have stuff that you don't need anymore running in your environment, turn it off, get rid of it. If you leave something plugged in, you leave it on, that's more of an attack surface for somebody to take advantage of. The name of the game is shrinking your attack surface. And this does not do that. This is the I mean, exact opposite. That's I mean, that's literally security 101. And in that um, risk and vulnerability assessment, that CISA put out today, I think you posted it on your Facebook, mentioned that exact thing. You, you, you should disable everything that you don't need. Right. You shouldn't have things out there. You shouldn't have APIs. An API is basically a really long password and it allows other computers to interact with your server, with your computer. And if you don't need it, you shouldn't have it turned on. Right. They, should, they should be off. Everything should be off that you don't need. I mean, that's, you know, I read... I mean, I don't want to like dogpile on Kaseya because because like you mentioned earlier, this could be this could happen to anybody. But I we can dogpile on the fact that they ignore stuff. Right. You know, I read not, earlier. I don't want to I don't want to make Kaseya to look like a victim and they did everything perfectly right. And they it was just this amazing hacker who breached their system because right. that, that's not the picture we want to paint. There are absolutely missteps by this company. Right. And where I was going with that is that I read um, in the last few days, an article, I think from January, where their CEO was talking about going on um, their IPO at the end of the year. And he mentioned, you know, their profit that they were at, 
they really need to be taking a certain amount of that profit and putting it back into, you know, hiring a security company, hiring multiple security companies to consistently be going over their stuff. I mean, that's well, from that's what I saw, they're, they're actually in and I'll pull it up later. But it looks to me like they're putting a they're giving all their uh, customers a fire IE or a, uh, is a fire eye. Yeah. Fire eye agent to put on all their VSA servers. So, nice. so FireEye is going to be monitoring the VSA servers moving forward, which, you know, I don't know if that's a good idea or not, but that's something maybe all these vendors need to be looking at is somebody, you know, keeping an eye on not only the SaaS servers, but the on-prem servers as well, um, just so they don't have to deal with a PR nightmare like, like they're dealing with. Um, so, at this time, there's no evidence this portal was involved in any VSA product security incident. Uh, the statement continued, and we are continuing to do a forensic analysis on system and investigating what data is actually there. So, but that's fine. And, and, and they, we may find out that the portal had nothing to do with the VSA hack. But the point is, if you have this legacy V this thing out here that you no longer need, you no longer use, you moved on to something else, but you left this out there. It kind of gives you a bad, it gives you a bad look in what your cybersecurity posture actually looks like. Like who's reviewing all your things? Who's doing the first step in the NIST cybersecurity framework, which is identify, right? Who is identifying what you have out there? It, it, like you read through this stuff and you can, if you're somebody who's, you know, lives and breathes this stuff like you and I do, you see holes in, in their operations and what they do. And I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, every company's perfect and, and they don't miss things and there is absolutely uh, human error involved, but that's why you have a team of people doing it. You don't rely on one person to say, okay, yeah, this is good. This is, you know, taken offline. Um, you use automation, you use people, um, you use a team, uh, you're constantly evaluating your system and you're constantly seeing what's out there just to make sure that somebody didn't accidentally open something up or turn something on and forget to turn it back off when they were troubleshooting and all that stuff. So um, it's all it's all earmarkers to, hey, really, this is no surprise to me at this point based on what's come out like you know, and I don't know how you feel about that, but that's kind of how I'm seeing it is like, you know, they didn't deal with this. They didn't deal with that. I'm not surprised. Well, I mean, you've got to, you've got to have a diff different set of eyes on your processes and, you know, you can't just, I mean, probably they've grown, they've been busy, you know, blah, 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 you know, and they, they really should have had, some some oversight of some sort, um, making sure that they were, you know, keeping keeping patched up, keeping vulnerabilities taken care of, all of that. So now we got um, Sanders here. Uh, is this the same Sanders who works at uh, Krebs? I'm not sure. Oh, no, this is Michael Sanders uh, over at Castella, and. And he goes on to say that every ransomware expert can say consulted so far is advised against negotiating for one ransom to unlock all victims. The problem is, is they don't 
have our data, they have our customers' data. And we've been counseled not to do that by every ransomware negotiating company we've dealt with. They said that the amount of individual machines hacked and ransomware, it would be very difficult for all of these systems to be remediated at once. I don't really understand where they're going with this. Do you? I mean, typical ransomware is going to put a different a different decryption key on each computer. No, that's so, not how they engineered this. So I'm not quite sure quite sure where they're going. Other they, kept, than they, they actually engineered the software from what I read. There's two they can give you two keys. They can give keys to a specific like company to unlock their files or right. If somebody wants to pay them the 50 or 70 million, they'll give a key on their happy blog that everybody can use to unlock. So they preset it up where they're both were specific and then one generic key that works. That's the way I understand it. Right. So you know, I'm just not sure what they're what where they're going, where they're I'm not going sure where they're that. going with this statement. I mean the problem is, is they don't have our data. They have our customers' data. Why is that a problem? If you pay them $70 million, Kiseya, they'll, um, they'll give everybody the key. And then each MSP could go to their client and put in that key and get, get the files back. And then they said, don't do that. And I guess they're basically saying you're going to pay $70 million and not everybody's going to get unlocked. And then you're going to open yourself up to lawsuits yeah i'm not sure that's probably what it means so uh fred vacola the ceo of caseya has been out there uh doing a lot of damage control um and he kind of is taking the limited impact uh statement saying only 50 uh of the more than 3500 caseya customers have been breached I mean, I don't know. Is that a badge of honor to you that only 50 of 3,500 or? Um, I mean, he doesn't really say that as a badge of honor in the. 35,000, I meant. Go ahead. Yeah, he doesn't really say that as a badge of honor in the video. He's just saying that because they had a playbook in place, um, they found out about the attack. They realized what was going on and the playbook said shut down all the servers. And so they did. The scary thing, though, is that we're looking now that the servers aren't even going to be brought up until this coming Sunday. So <laughs> that's a mess. Um, doesn't seem like they have it figured out. So zero day vulnerability led to uh, Kaseya customers getting ransomware was discovered and reported uh, uh, to Kaseya by uh, this Boonstra, a researcher for the DIVD. Yeah, that's the one uh, we mentioned earlier. The, yeah, right. And, that, and uh, in a July 4th blog post, David's Victor Gevers wrote that Kaseya was very cooperative and asked the right questions. Um, who knows? Uh, also, parcel patches were shared with us to validate their effectiveness. Okay, during the entire process, Kaseya has shown that they were willing to put in the maximum effort and initiative into this case, both to get the issues fixed and their customers patched. They showed a genuine commitment to do the right thing. Unfortunately, we were beaten by Revel in the final sprint as they could exploit the vulnerabilities before customers could even patch. Now, that's interesting because, you know, 
um, you know, that kind of goes against what I was saying earlier about what I hear most experiences are with these security researchers. Um, and that's what I'm saying. It, like I did mention earlier that it's kind of a race, like between the good guys and the bad guys between like, I know that every good guy security researcher that finds a vulnerability when he finds it, he's basically praying that a bad guy doesn't find it, you know, at the right. same time. Um, so, and then it still says to say that still Kaseya has yet to issue an official patch for the flaw breach to report it in April. And Kaseya told customers on July 7th who was working through the night to push out an update. So they've been working on this for a very, very long time. Um, you know, I, I guess the maximum effort is a subjective kind of opinion by by the security researcher. Right. Um you know, I guess, you know, in hindsight, maybe they could have put a little more effort in. I don't know. Um, who knows? I guess if they had their if they were told in April, look, if you don't get this fixed in the next two months, you're going to have a major issue on your ha on your hands. And, and they looked at it through that lens versus maybe, you know, the normal way they do things. Maybe, you know, things would have happened a little different. But this this is a perfect example of why if a security researcher comes to you and tells you that you have a problem you better get it fixed as quick as possible because the right. time, the time bomb is is ticking and you need to get it done. So um, going on, uh, Giver said the Kaseya vulnerability was discovered as part of a larger DIVD effort to look for serious flaws in a wide array of remote network management, management tools. That next sentence is the kicker right there. Man. Right here. We are focusing on these types of products because we spotted a trend or more and more of the products that are used to keep networks safe and secure are showing structural weaknesses, he wrote. Um, and this is just, he didn't pick out any one here. This is kind of what we said at the beginning of the show, that a lot of these tools can become a victim just like Kaseya did. So nobody should take any kind of solace or feel good that they're using a different tool and they, you know, they weren't affected by this. So, right. So, yeah, I mean, wow. And then I'm just going to hop on kind of a little bit what we were talking about last week, right? And uh, we talked about last week a lot of the government getting involved. And and we know that Putin and Biden um, got, had a little discussion during their summit about cybersecurity. Um, and this article here on ZDNet, is claiming that the U.S. warned Russia to take action at their latest attacks. Um, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, Randy. What What are your thoughts here? Um, I have some thoughts I want to share, but what are your thoughts here on this latest development where, you know, the U.S., the White House has kind of sent a warning to Moscow about this uh, Kaseya attack? I mean, the, the, the article just basically starts off talking about they and really at the very top the the subtitle about about cybercrime operating in their own backyard and you know that's where um the one involved in the Kasey attack was based you know and it's really this is really going to become a contentious issue um you know this has the potential for you know causing a war this has the potential for causing embargoes you know which is an act of war um because if they're just looking the other way because their economy is struggling and they know they can bring in all kinds of money by letting these cyber criminals do their thing 
and then bring in all kinds of money into their country. I mean, I'm not a politician and I'm not saying this in any kind of official way, but that's almost an act of war if they're letting that happen. So I think this could get very serious very fast if if we don't see cooperation between the two countries, um, because it it's probably something that the Russians are allowing on purpose. You know, um, I mean, we don't know. Like I said, I'm not a politician, um, don't care to be. But, you know, it's happening in their backyard and something's going to have to happen. Yeah. And. I, I don't like the back and forth and, and I know I know the White House wants to make sure that they fully um, know the, the facts here before they they decide to act on anything. Um, but once the dust is settled and we kind of know what happened and, and things have been confirmed, if if the White House doesn't do anything and and they just kind of say, well, no critical infrastructure, we, you know, was hit, but, you know, the IT is supposedly critical infrastructure. One of those 16 that were mentioned. Right. And not only that, so is local government. And we know local governments in Maryland are, are dealing with ransomware as a result of this. So I kind of look at it as not having a backbone if we don't do something. And, you know, and then, you know, Putin, just knowing that guy, He's going to look at that and go, well, he threatened me and gave me a list and we attacked these lists. There was a hospital attack in Atlanta or, or in Georgia the week after he gave him the list. Right. So it was like the, the number of attacks that's going to happen since he gave Vladimir Putin this list is just going to keep getting longer and longer. And Putin's going to go, well, he's not going to ever do anything about it. He doesn't care about this. We're just going to keep going and, and continue to do so and keep stealing money from us businesses because it helps us. I don't know. Yep. That's how I look at it. So, um, you want to jump into this David? You want to, you want to talk about that for a minute or are we, are we good there? I mean, I think we pretty much already did. I mean, the gist, yeah. the gist of that was they're just laying out in as much detail as they can, their interaction with Kaseya when it started, because there's, I think there's a lot there's a lot of gossip going around, a lot of people talking things, pointing fingers, this and that. You know, they're just kind of laying it out there. Um, and then even in an official statement, though, um, since then, um, I thought we're looking at the the one from uh, the Dutch the Dutch company. Not yet. I, well, I was going to okay. skip. I was going to skip over that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So so bottom line, I think we've talked about everything that's in that one. Yeah, we have. Um, so I'm going to jump into. I just want to. I just want to educate people a little bit on kind of what these uh, these vulnerability things look like. So NIST, which is the National Institute of, uh, I forget if it's science or and technology. I always I always get it messed up. But I think it's science and technology. It is. <laughs> it is science and technology. Um, but NIST is. Um, uh, puts out these uh, bulletins that are in this national vulnerability database. And for every exploit that's discovered in almost every piece of software, every piece of hardware, every firmware, every device gets assigned a CVE and a number. The CVE 215, that's the year. And then a number, that's basically the number of vulnerabilities that have been discovered and released. There are multiple of these released on a daily basis. Like I get an email every day from 
from CISA with all of the vulnerabilities that had been released for that day. And I, and I quickly scanned through them to see if like there's anything that we're potentially using somewhere that, that could have a vulnerability. Um, and this is what it looks like and, it, and it's out there. And this is the particular vulnerability that was for the uh, website uh, that Kaseya ran, the portal. And, and this is what it looks like. It comes out, um, it tells you what the issue is. If there's a fix, they tell you what the fix is. Um, but this is a thing. I wanted to show it to people. It's our government does it. They put it out there. It's for anybody to go and look at and understand and, and really take a look at what vulnerabilities exist. And, you know, your job as a network defender is to make sure you do not have these vulnerabilities in your network. Um, so, you know, pretty straightforward there. Um, and I don't think we have anything else to talk about today, do we? Um, were we going to get into the, uh, the RVA, the risk and vulnerability assessment that they put out? Talk to me about that. Well, I think the bottom line is what they've done is they've gone through and basically try to categorize by percentages where the top attacks are happening. Oh yeah. Yeah. You mean the one that I posted on Facebook today? Yeah. And then they've, then they've rolled out about 10 mitigation techniques that if you do those top 10, you're going to, you know, you're going to be wiping out like, like a huge percentage of the vulnerabilities that you might be faced with. Right. Um, I just thought it was a very, it was a very um, interesting. The first one they had on there was for software. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the scariest one where mm -hmm. the criminals are able to insert code into software that goes on to be signed and published. Yep. Um, and then later, you know, use that back as a backdoor to get into things. But that was the only other thing that we had mentioned in the green room to talk about. We can, you know, talk about that next week. There's a lot of a lot of good stuff on here that people should be doing. Yeah, that's um, there's, with there's, their networks. there's good stuff in there, but a lot of that's very technical. I don't know if that fits uh, our business audience, right? But it does fit hmm. anybody who's a technical well, person. If um, they, they would know if they're not doing it. I'll tell you that. Who? The business owners would. I don't know. I mean, that's a very technical. Uh, the, the mitigation techniques that they summed up is is not. It's very. Um, oh, you're right. The top, the things at the top on the thing. Yes, you're right. Yeah, we we could we could jump into that and talk about that. And that uh, might be might be best to save it. I mean, let me let me. Uh, I think I can pull that up pretty quickly. Um, it's on my Facebook, so no big deal. Yeah, we can quickly share this and, and jump into it because it's relevant and it's new. Um, so up here uh, at the top right in that white blue area, um, they're basically saying mitigation mitigation for top techniques. So how do we mitigate the top techniques that are that these hackers are using? And the first one I have on there is application developer guidance, right? Yeah, that's the one I was talking about. Yeah. So it's basically saying if you are having software developed in your company, you need to have software best practices, guidance, and training to application developers to avoid introducing security weaknesses through code, right? And and and, and just so everybody knows, um, developers and coders – it depends on the person, but really 
not security minded type people. They're I need to get this code to work type people. And as somebody who used to be a developer and I developed software and web applications for the Navy uh, in the early part of my career, that was very much the name of the game. Mm-hmm. Let's just build something and get it to work. You get it to work. It's high five. Nobody cared about security. Um, and we work with a lot of companies that had software developed, you know, five, 10 years ago. They're still using it today. Um, <clears throat> maybe hasn't been updated. Maybe, maybe right. And the person who wrote it wasn't thinking about security, especially 10 years ago. Um, So it's really important to understand that, you know, you may think that your software that you use, that you had developed, you know, a long time ago that helps you do something in your business. You may think that that's not something that could ever be used to, you know, take control of your system or deploy ransomware. But that's not true at all. Right. These, these things help hackers mm-hmm. move laterally in your network, if not be, as we see in Kaseya case, be the be the thing that actually gets the ransomware onto the system. So that's that's a pretty big one that doesn't get talked about enough. But I don't also not a lot of companies have custom applications like in their environment, but the ones that do need to be keenly aware of, of that one right there. Yeah. And and also your security professionals need to make sure that the software that they're using is following those standards. I'm, I was in, I won't give any names out. I'll, I'll tell you in the green room later, but I was in a Slack chat with a couple developers of a widely used network security uh, software. And several people were talking about some bugs and issues they were having. Mm-hmm. And the developer was on that chat making changes and rolling them out. Like that's disturbing because those are going out. I mean, yeah, I'm not sure exactly how they're doing it, but it just seems like it was very willy nilly, you Mm -hmm. know, like they didn't have a procedure in place. Like there should be somebody going over every single byte that's been changed in the software for the day to make sure that it was, or by the hour or whatever, to make sure that it was intentional, that nothing extra was added in. I mean, that, that's scary, and that's what gets us in, in a lot of trouble. With Yeah, so I think you're right, Randy. I think I'd like to do a whole, like, show on this next week um, because there's a lot here, and, I, you know, we could talk about this all day, and we're already over an hour <laughs> into the show. So um, yeah. let's let's wrap it up. But, you know, we'll, we'll go into this a little bit deeper next week with what all these different things, but they also identified, and I'll just read them off, User training, user security and awareness training, user account management, privileged account management, password policies, network segmentation, huge one that I don't see a lot of companies doing, um, network intrusion prevention, um, disable or remove feature or program, antivirus, anti-malware, and then update software. So we're going to cut into those on the next call. We'll, we'll go into, into detail about what all of those mean and, you know, give examples of, you know, if, you know, something had happened that we know happened, or, you know, if this wasn't there or if somebody did this, this wouldn't have happened. Um, We'll, we'll cite examples. So business owners can kind of start to connect the dots with what all this means from a technical standpoint to what it means to, you know, the computer, the software and everything that they use to, 
to run their business. So uh, I think that's a great idea to jump into next week. And we'll have Andre back with us next week, right? I think, right? Is that is that accurate? Um, um, as far as I know. Good. because, yeah, Andre didn't join us this week. He's uh, he's he's uh, a celebrity, so he travels a lot. <laughs> and uh, he, he was not able to join us today. So uh, Randy and I, we, we carried the show this week. So um, I think that's it for me. That's all I have to say. Um, I did want to mention one thing, though. You and I talked about it in the green room. Uh, to any of my uh, security people that are listening to this, please keep in mind that this attack on Kaseya was not what I would consider a normal attack by a ransomware group. There were a lot of things that they did not do that we typically see in normal ransomware attacks. I'm talking over thousands and thousands of attacks. We see the same pattern over and over. And there are specific things in this attack that are missing. And I just want to make sure that people are looking for the red herring in this event and making sure that there isn't something else that's been compromised and the ransomware is just, you know, a look over here type of thing. Uh, and that gets all the attention while there's other vulnerabilities being exploited. I know they brought in Mandiant and FireEye. I'm sure they're doing a good job with this, but we need to be mindful of this stuff and we need to be aware that this is a very unusual way for them to deploy this type of attack. And I am concerned that this is a red herring for something else with that software. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And that's, um, I really, I really hope if there are any security professionals that are watching that they do consider that. Yep. So, and then anybody who has to deal with anything like this, consider that it, it might not appear uh, what it is on the, uh, on the surface. So that's all for me. Any, any last words you want to share with the audience before? That's all that? I've got. Just stay safe right. out there. I appreciate you uh, hopping on with me today and and uh, riding on this podcast and educating everybody. Remember, folks, you're listening to us uh, through on your uh, on your walk in the car while you're working out. Um, remember to rate our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It helps other people find uh, find the show and uh, maybe take 15 seconds of your life and, and write a little bit review, write a little review in the, in the, in the uh, review area there and let other people know why they should be listening to us. And, uh, you know, just help us out and share out the podcast. We are growing every single week. We get more and more downloads. It's awesome. We really appreciate the feedback and the love that you guys are showing. So we'll be back next week to, uh, to break down what it is that companies should be doing to protect themselves based on the, uh, the little infographic I showed towards the end of the show here. So I hope everyone has a, uh, pops a up. what's up. <laughs> I said, unless something else pops up between now and then. Yeah. Which is probably a, a very good chance. <laughs> um, so um, hope everyone has a great week. Well, we'll see you next week. See you on the other side.